We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. When it's time for a new credit card, the best ones do way more than just buy stuff. And that's why U.S. Bank offers credit cards that make every day more rewarding. Earn cash back. Score points when you shop, dine out, travel, or binge watch. Or get a low intro APR. U.S. Bank credit cards were designed to fit your lifestyle. So make every day more rewarding. And check out usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. What kind of mythical powers does a sun devil have? We've got to consider that. It's embarrassing, but we are who we are. We're not a very good team, but we're three and one somehow. And we got all the voters fools thinking we're pretty good. Jaworski Lane at 275 pounds showed a heck of a lot of athletic ability. Welcome to a week seven edition of the Rotowire College Football Podcast, the Baron Batch of College Football Podcasts. I'm Nick Whalen, joined as always by Rotowire's lead college football guru, John McKechnie. John, uh, another fun week of college football ahead of us, uh, another uh, upset filled week uh, behind us. We inch closer and closer to adding the, the Big Ten and the Pac 12 to the season. Uh, I cannot wait for that. Uh, we're still just a little over a week away as we record on Thursday afternoon, but a lot to dig into this week. Uh, we'll go through all the top news. Nick Saban, of course, test positive for the coronavirus. How will that impact Alabama uh, as they face a, a massive game against the Georgia Dogs this Saturday night? We'll have all the week six reactions. We'll get into uh, the top games from week seven. And of course, uh, a full DFS preview, all three main positions from John McKechnie. John, how are you doing this afternoon? 
I'm doing well, man. I'm I'm jacked up. Like you said, we we've been enjoying some chaotic weeks in college football on the field, off the field. It's been pretty crazy as well, too. But like there, there's been so many like upsets. I mean, you know, when we talked two weeks ago, it's like not only will Florida never lose again. Well, you know, are they going to be the first team to score 100 points since like Georgia Tech pre World War One or something? You know, it's just yeah. crazy like that. And and the, you know, it all comes crashing down for them last week. Uh, we have a huge game this week that that of course is is complicated um, by by the coronavirus stuff with, with Nick Saban testing positive, and we'll we'll have to see um, if the Alabama players what that round of testing brings here on this Thursday. But yeah, I'm I'm all sorts of jacked up, and, and I'm also uh, coming off of a, a, a retail therapy shopping spree. Uh, I, I always have some Amazon guilt, but like I always dive in on Prime Day, like no, no matter what, it just sucks me in. So I uh, had some fun purchases. Did you get in on that at all? You know, I tried. My my roommate's a big tech guy. Uh, he was sending me deals, trying to trying to fire me up for this. I know Best Buy kind of did like a its own little like pre Black Friday price match type of thing. I am in need of a new laptop. I will say that, uh, as you are well aware, my I, I made the decision to update to the newest uh, operating system about a month ago. Not a good idea. Yeah. Are you like recording on, is your laptop like resting on a block of ice right now? It should be there. Yesterday at one point I was running GarageBand, Skype and Zoom. And I was in like a public space. I've been working in like the community room at my building just to get out of my actual apartment. Sure. And there were other people in there yesterday. And the amount of noise that my laptop was making was was starting to cause a little bit of a ruckus. So uh, it's it's gone through some things. It, I mean, it runs well, um, but there's just like a very long startup time for anything, you know. So like if you if I click the the Skype icon, which is what we're using to record, for example, it'll just bounce on the dock probably 50 to 75 times before opening. Um, so I've, I've kind of learned to live with it. But like the first week was just absolutely maddening, like just kind of forgetting that I had updated it. Um, mm-hmm. But Eventually, I'll be purchasing a new laptop. Uh, we'll, we'll see. Maybe I'll, I'll strong arm Rotowire into into paying for that. Uh, but no, long story short, I did not buy anything. I, like I said, I wanted to. The deals just weren't weren't quite sweet enough for me. Uh, I, have a, I have a few things in mind. I'm thinking about kind of getting back into playing video games, okay. which I've kind of I've, outside of NCAA football, which I get like a three week urge to play around this time every year. Mm-hmm. I don't really play video games anymore. Um, but you know, I, I feel like. Would you agree with me that it's be, it's like kind of come around and it's become like much more acceptable for 28 year old males to spend like th- four hours a night playing video games now than it yeah, was like I mean, five I, or ten years ago? I think it has. I think that that like there's just there seems to be such like a wider menu of games that like the the continued progression of like just like how well these games are made just like in like the variety that you can get into it just seems wild. Um, I don't really I don't have a console. I'm kind of stuck in my GameCube days personally, and I, I like dream of playing NHL hits again someday. Um, but yeah, I mean it, it's totally socially acceptable, and especially now where like it, it's harder, it's a tougher sell to like go meet out uh, and like play bar right. trivia on a Wednesday night right now. That that sort of thing where it's like. Well, you're actually being responsible by playing four hours of, exactly. of video games a night. Actually, so you're doing your civic duty, really. Yeah, you can't get the guys together to, to play some two-hand touch football in the park, you know, like like you normally would. Um, no, that's that's a good point. But with you, eventually, with, the, with a flannel tied around your waist and everyone yep. laughing, exactly. having a good time, a broken collarbones, just guy stuff. Uh, <laughs> did you, did you make any purchases? So you know, you mentioned uh, your. Uh, current workspace at your apartment complex i just stick to to my place um and i've been sitting on this like rock hard backless 
bar stool for not going on seven months now. And it's been, you know, a, a test of the posture to, to make sure that I'm not like a hunchback at this point. But, you know, I was like, OK, if, you know, as a man who has everything such as me, a, a, a haver of a 600 square foot one bedroom apartment, you know, what more could a man of my stature need? But I figured maybe an office chair, maybe a little cushy for the tushy would, would be a, a good worthwhile purchase. So I found one that was like well, was like 250 and I got it for like 125 or something. So Damn. other than the the terrifying prospect of me putting something together, I'm pretty excited about that. And I also acquired um, a pour over um set up for you know a big coffee guy over here so i got a new pour over um i have some some coffee beans that that have been waiting uh, my coffee maker at, at home broke so i i'm just gonna switch over full time to being a pour over guy and i'm pretty excited about it honestly yeah, go off man that I, you can't go back that's what you, i hope you realize that once you start doing the pour over life and just looking like you know what you're doing and like look like somebody who knows a lot about coffee you can't just switch back to the 16 dollar black and decker from fleet farm no, you, you really can't. Um, I'm going to, I don't know, th- like launch my, my current broken coffee maker like off my porch or something. I, I haven't decided what, what kind of Viking funeral I'm going to give that piece of trash. But um, either way, yeah, I'm I'm yeah, I'm pot committed to to the uh, to the pour over life now. So I, I know what I'm getting into. I, I would argue that you're, in fact, no longer pot committed. I think you were pot committed when you were actually using a coffee pot. Folks. <laughs> All right. Uh, on a slightly more serious note, um, you'll notice if you go to our college football homepage or a number of the pages on our site, uh, we've been having a, a pretty major issue with one of our stat providers. Uh, I won't name that stat provider. However, we did kind of out them uh, on the website. I thought that was pretty <laughs> you can cool. Check it out there. Whichever one of our tech guys did that, it was just like, here's who to blame. It's not us, which is true. Um, but we, we've had some major data issues, data supply issues, a lot of the back end stuff that we get from other partners has not been there. Uh, you've you've had to deal with this more than I have. I mean, the NBA season is over, so it, it thankfully never really affected us as the season ended on Sunday. Uh, but can you just give a little bit more background if if any listeners are using the site and are confused why some data might be missing? Yeah, so th- this is this was something that um, didn't just affect RotoWire. It, it affected you know if you played DFS last weekend, if you played on DraftKings, if you played on FanDuel, you noticed that your scores weren't updating live, and, and basically uh, Stat Provider X um, just basically had something go horribly wrong. I, I don't know the specifics of it, but basically. The, the data just went dark and, um, you know, there, there weren't really answers as to why and how for, for a while there. So basically, as it stands, when it comes to our site, if you, if you go to like the um, advanced lineups page or, or the um, DFS like matchups page, um, the data that, that we need as far as like plays per game, yards allowed. Per, so like all the team stats, in addition to um, the game logs and the season long stats being updated, um, that is currently paused. Uh, just so list, dear listener, just bear with us. We'll, we'll be back online hopefully soon. I'm really hoping for, for before kickoff of this weekend, but it, it could be into next week. But, you know, this wasn't just something that, that affected RotoWire. Like, it, it affected anyone's user experience on DraftKings or FanDuel. Like, I don't think FanDuel contests got paid out from College Football Saturday until, like, Tuesday or something, and, and mm-hmm. that might even be generous. So it's a it's a huge issue. I, like, I'm, I'm kind of amazed that that one domino falling could have, could have led to all of that. But, um, again... We're, we'll still have content. We we got the college capper up. We're obviously still doing the um, 
the podcast. I'll have the DraftKings article up on Friday, all that good stuff. So we'll, we'll be ready. It's just a, a matter of, um, you know, weathering the, this short term storm. And I think it will be short term, but it, it, it is something that, that we need to get out there. That's a solid summary. Uh, that, uh, some of that is news to me as well. Um, like I said, this hasn't really leaked into the NBA world at all. But um, yeah, kind of a, a massive uh, multi-day long issue. We, we, all, we have minor issues like this all the time. You know, it's usually just something on our end or, you know, one of the providers, there's, there's a glitch in the code more or less. And it, it's usually fixed within the hour. Like I, this is the first time, at least since I've been here, that it's, we've had something that's run for basically an entire week now. Yeah. And like tanked like an entire section as yeah. a result. So yeah, that's been like shocking. And, and yeah, I, like the severity of it really kind of like set in yesterday where it's like it, it's still Wednesday. There's still no stats from last week. Yeah. Um, and, you know, our stats, I think, are like the best in the, you know, that you can access. You know, we have college football target data like that's not something that you find everywhere. You don't see that on ESPN box scores. So like that's that's something that I, I like take a lot of pride in. Like I, I think we have like the best resources for college football. So like when, when like that kind of gets swept out from under you, it's, it's frustrating. But I, again, I, I think that it'll be resolved sooner rather than later. So like I said, in the intro, Nick Saban test positive for the coronavirus, uh, the most high profile uh, college football person to date to test positive. And I think that's almost by default because he is the most high profile person in college football. Um, he, I think he coached remotely uh, a practice earlier this week. Um, it, it doesn't sound like he's going to be available at all on Saturday. Um, but, you know, it, it's really hard for me to kind of measure how much of an impact this could have, uh, you know, especially when, you know, Alabama is famous for having like 50 offensive assistants and defensive gurus and all that. Like, I would imagine that, you know, missing Nick Saban isn't just going to throw this team into some haywire scenario where they're going to come out and score five points. Um, what, what is, what do you, what, what is your take on, on what this impact could be though, as they go into what's probably going to be their toughest game of the entire season? Yeah. That, like that news definitely like rocked the college football world went Wednesday afternoon. It was like, you know, uh, Cecil hurt the, the kind of stalwart, um, Alabama beat reporter tweets it out and you're like, Oh man, this is, mm. this is like another level of, of real. And, uh, you know, you, you throw on fine bomb right afterward. <laughs> they have, they like, Coach Saban, so you just tested positive like 20 minutes ago. How about a Zoom press conference? So he was in just like a foul mood, like, you know, answering all these questions, all these like kind of like loaded or pointed questions about, about you know, what what have you been doing? Who have you been around? Blah, blah, blah. I mean, it was just like a very surreal after it made for a very surreal afternoon uh, yesterday. Um, but, yeah, when it comes down to it, like he won't. But by the rules, uh, other writers that. Uh, are more into or, you know, dove into the NCAA rulebook to like make sure, you know, what kind of access he could or couldn't have for Saturday. Like, yeah, you can't just like zoom uh, like into the headsets type, type of thing the, the way that like he he kind of I don't think that he like said it knowing that it was against the rules or anything, but he just like didn't know what he was going to be able to to do on Saturday. Um, I think as far as how this operates for Alabama. I think that this will be fine offensively, but I think Saban, you know, with his defensive background being the defensive mastermind that he is, it being on the Alabama defensive coordinator, his name's escaping me, but when you think about how much struggles Alabama's had on that side of the ball and not having Saban available to kind of take the reins and, and make those adjustments, that's where I think that that um, the impact will most be felt. 
yeah, I, I think that's solid analysis. Um, I, I will say at least now there's there's a little bit less panic from a health perspective. You know, when you see news like that, like my first thought is, how's this going to impact their football program? Whereas if this had happened in March, you know, when you're seeing celebrities or coaches or players test positive, when we still didn't really know, um, you know, quite, I guess, how how severe or in general, how low the death rate uh, or, you know, severity rate seems mm-hmm. to be with this. Um, like there, for all we know, you know, Saban's been asymptomatic. He said basically he doesn't feel any different, which is great. Um, but yeah, at, at least there's not that panic of like, oh my God, this guy's 70 plus, you know, what does this mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, well wishes to Nick Saban. Uh, hopefully this doesn't affect much uh, for Alabama. I know maybe you feel a little bit differently about this specific Saturday night, uh, but, but I'm sure he'll be back on the sidelines soon enough. Uh, LSU, Florida officially postponed um, a game that, you know, some of the luster has certainly uh, worn off, uh, especially after Florida's loss this past weekend uh, and the way that LSU uh, has begun the season with with two losses and three games, one of those uh, being to Missouri on Saturday. Uh, but that game is off. Cincinnati, Tulsa also postponed. Oklahoma State and Baylor is also postponed. Um, you know, two of those three are, are games that we would have been keeping an eye on, certainly uh, the, the the SEC game and the Big 12 game. But yep. uh, nonetheless, a, 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 maybe not the the best slate of the year, but still a, a very appealing one coming to us uh, this weekend. Right. So, so yeah, these post postponements definitely, you know, take some of the, um, some of the luster off of the, um, overall DFS slate. I, I know that LSU Florida and Cincinnati Tulsa were, were both going to be on the DraftKings main slate. So, um, that being nixed is, um, you know, that, that cuts down on the amount of teams playing and, and you know, the amount of players that you can approach. So it's, it, tightens things up a little bit um for lsu um i think you look at this as like you know you're coming off that like just disastrous loss to to missouri and um miles brennan was likely not going to be able to play in this game so um you know i don't want to like say it insensitively but a a blessing in, in disguise for lsu because because going into florida with a backup quarterback, it, it would have had to been the freshman who I believe this will interest you is is Brad Johnson's son, Max Johnson. Oh, that interests me. Yes. Um, so um, th- that would have been a, a tough uh, start here, especially with the way that LSU ha- has gotten off to um, here this season. But uh, yeah, otherwise, you know, it's just one of those things where really ever all the decision makers feet are being put to the fire as to how we're going to handle the, these postponements and, and, you know, reschedulings on the back end. So this is just the first of it. Um, December 12th seems to be the, the landing spot for all these sec games. Um, but that's basically under the presumption that only that every team will have one postponement. So we'll, we'll have to see what happens with that because that hasn't been the case with a team like Baylor in the big 12 or, or Houston, mm-hmm. for example, like missing like the first five weeks of the season with, with all the craziness, not, not specifically because of Houston, but like, bad luck of the draw mm-hmm. as far as who they were going against a couple of quick news items before we get to some of the reactions from week six uh, big win for the dogs on the recruiting trail john yes so i mean i always feel like as like a sec re- recruiting fan and someone who follows it pretty closely like the the amount of like how spoiled we are compared to even other big programs like Wisconsin, it kind it kind of makes me feel ridiculous to talk about it. But like, like yeah, Georgia needed the number two player in the country. But it's like if you follow Georgia and like you know the people that that are boots on the ground with their recruiting, like they they did feel like Mims was one of like the biggest pieces that they that they had left on the board. I think a lot of the top twenty guys um, in this 
class of 2020 have already committed. So he was one of the very few uncommitted guys who was still available offensive lineman from the state of Georgia. You know, you're fighting off Alabama, you're fighting off Tennessee to get him uh, Georgia um, that, you know, I think it was also a big litmus test because they were able to get all these offensive linemen under Sam Pittman. He's now coaching at Arkansas, obviously. So it was a test for um, the new offensive line coach, uh, Matt Luke, and how he how he's able to draw in these, these blue chip guys. And uh, Georgia was obviously able to seal that deal. So, I mean, it, you got to feel good about the offensive line staying the way it has and, and Kirby Smart just kind of like being able to build these crazy, crazy offensive lines so far. So, um, yeah, more of the same coming, it, it seems like. But the the uh, it, there was, you know, to, to quote John Rostein, palpable buzz uh, about Amarius Mims uh, when he committed yesterday. There sure was. Yeah, I mean, it, for for like offensive linemen, recruiting news to make it to my timeline it, there has to be a certain amount of buzz <laughs> and, and this certainly did um we are one week away as i mentioned at the top from from the big 10 and the pac-12 uh, nobody cares about the pac-12 but from the big 10 uh rejoining college football uh I, I looked ahead at some of the opening lines for for the week one uh of the big 10 schedule which of course begins the weekend of october 24th the wisconsin badgers john are 23 and a half point favorites over illinois uh, which is a team that beat wisconsin last year that's right. That That's a lot of credit give, being given to a Badgers team that is going to be starting a first time starter at quarterback. Right. Uh, because because uh, Jack Cohn um, is injured with, with that foot and Jonathan Taylor's gone. And I think that, you know, you I, I want to get your perspective on this. But, you know, the, the transition to Graham Mertz, Mertz, probably the biggest quarterback recruit straight out of high school that Wisconsin has ever had. Um, this is a huge deal. Um, you know, you wish that it doesn't happen as a result of an injury to a guy ahead of him. You you want him to just kind of win it, win the job straight out or whatever. But um, th- that's still a lot of credit to be given to this Badgers team that has a lot of unknowns, in my opinion. And Illinois, on the other side, I don't think they're a great team. I don't think they're great coached either. Mm-hmm. But, you know, they did get the win last year. Um, so maybe the Badgers have a little bit of extra incentive to get them back this time around, but they do have a lot of returning experience that they, they have, you know, Brandon Peters back at quarterback once a, a, a uh, like a four-star commit to Michigan didn't work out there. Um, they have like half of the guys that have left USC have ended up at Illinois for whatever reason. So they have some talent. So that's a big number for the Badgers to, to cover. I will say that much. Right, right. I mean, I realize Illinois doesn't have Juice Williams at quarterback, but I, I thought the same thing. I mean, I that that's a huge number. Um, I mean, it makes it makes me feel confident, I guess, that that the oddsmakers view Wisconsin as more than a three touchdown favorite. Um, but I'm with you. I mean, I, I think there was some momentum around this time last year for you know a lot of people. I think wanted Graham Mertz to step in and be the starter, and obviously Jack Cohn played more than well enough to hold him off. But you know, part of it was you know, and the coaching staff would imply this every now and then, like Mertz just frankly wasn't ready and another year to grow another, another year in, in the training program, another year throwing, you know, getting used to the college style obviously should help remedy that. But I don't think it's a guarantee that this guy's going to just hit the ground running and, and all of a sudden look like Tua Tagovailoa. You know, I, I think there's a chance that um, there, there are some growing pains here. So that concerns me a little bit. Um, but, you know, he does have two good receivers in Danny Davis and Kendrick Pryor, uh, not always a guarantee at Wisconsin. Uh, the defense, I, I think, should be really good again this year. But if there's one concern for me, it's that for the first time in a while, Wisconsin doesn't really have that next guy up at running back. You know, right. it's going to be kind of a committee approach. And and the options are fine. You know, Nikia Watson, Garrick Roshek, uh, both of those guys have, have a decent amount of experience kind of being the second or third guy 
uh, over the last few years, but they don't really have a clear Jonathan Taylor or Melvin Gordon or John Clay to just hand things off to. Uh, I, I think the most exciting running back on the roster is probably Jalen Berger, but I know we have him like fifth on our depth chart uh, on rotowire.com. So it, it's, it's just, I don't know. I mean, I, again, part of this is Illinois just not being very good and losing a lot on their end, but um, you know, I, I wouldn't expect Wisconsin with its, its starting quarterback, who is, you know, an all big 10 candidate this year out. Uh, I, I don't think this, the start to the season is just a guaranteed cakewalk. No, it, it's definitely not. And I think you have it circled just right when it comes to, you know, Wisconsin, they can always run the ball, but they, it does feel like they need that guy, you know, that, mm-hmm. so I've, we might have gone over this maybe over the summer, but it feels a bit like the year after Melvin Gordon, where the, the, there was supposed to be the handoff to Corey Clement as the next guy. Clement gets hurt, and you kind of just have to make it work with like you know Broderick Shaw or Taiwan Deal or you know some combination. It, it feels like there isn't the guy at, at least yet. Um, I think Berger is the one with the with that highest upside. I think most people from fantasy perspective are expecting it's going to be Nakia Watson at least at, mm-hmm. to start things out and, and Groshek is good in what he does but I, I don't think that you can like really bump up his role so it's going to be on Berger or even Julius Davis who's really struggled to stay healthy dating back to high school to really step up here because as it stands um, a Badgers team that, that doesn't have a ton of punch in the run game um, is one that that you know doesn't scare people the same way it normally would. One last note on Wisconsin. They moved this game to Friday night. Over the years, and particularly when I was in school at Wisconsin, there was like a huge push. Like everybody wanted every game to be a night game, as most students do. Mm-hmm. And it was like maybe one a year. And it was usually not like a great game. I think we played like UNLV at night once. And like <laughs> all the good games were always at noon or 2.30. Of course, the year when there's no fans, they're like, yeah, sure. We'll just, we'll just throw this one on Friday night. Um, <laughs> I don't understand that. It's going to be really weird uh, watching that game with, with zero fans at Camp Randall. Uh, obviously, that's a, a big part of the experience. But uh, something that the entire Big Ten and, and the entire country really is dealing with. Uh, mm-hmm. What do you make of Penn State opening as only a seven-point favorite over Indiana? That's respect to Indiana, I think. Um, yeah. Indiana is bringing back their, their quarterback, um, Mike Penix. Um, you, you have... Uh, Indiana low-key has like some of the most fun names. So yeah, you have Mike Penix, you have Ty Freifogel, um, you have Wap Fillier, Stevie yep. Scott, um, Peyton Hendershot. Those are all their like star offensive players, and they're all back. So like the Indiana is going to be a fun team. I, I'm like very excited to to get them on DFS slates because that they, they have those guys and they run an up tempo scheme that there's a lot to like about them. So it, it says a lot about the respect for Indiana and I think also maybe a bit of a of a statement or like a reality check for this Penn State team that that lost a lot of uh, its returning production from a year ago on top of, you know, Micah Parsons opting out. So maybe that, you know, that that's a huge piece of your defense that you're losing. I, I'm, I was convinced that like Micah Parsons was at least as good as Devin White, if not better. So uh, I don't, I don't blame him for opting out. I think, you know, he had nothing left to prove really, but um, at the, at the same time, like it, it is going to hurt Penn state on the field. Maybe that defense isn't as dominant and, and you know, keyed in as they would have been. So I, I think that those are like the, the reasons behind that this line being kind of suspiciously small. I, I will say, I think you missed two guys uh, when you were doing those Indiana names. I mean, you have Peyton Hendershot and Ryan Watercutter, both tight ends, <laughs> Watercutter. I mean, I would imagine that 
like if his parents did a gender reveal, it would be it wouldn't be blue or pink. It would just be like gray, and it'd be like we're having a tight end. <laughs> and like that's they would do like the Eastern Michigan um like coming out onto the field, but as their gender reveal, where you like take a sledgehammer <laughs> to a gray brick wall. Oh man, that I I think I retweeted that this week. That made it across my timeline. Um, the the college football no context account, by the way, man. Once Always or twice a week, good. I'm just like, yes, thank you for this. And yeah, that one, I completely forgot about that. I, I was thinking that was Michigan State for some reason, based on the colors. But yeah, that was the the GOAT team entrance. I don't know if we'll ever see anything top that, especially because it took them a while to actually knock it down. <laughs> it's just, you know, it's just like, you're Eastern Michigan, you know, you gotta gotta come up with, with something kind of crazy is it for your, for your uh, field entrance. Yeah, I mean, what's grittier and more Mac than, you know, t- literally taking a sledgehammer to some cinder blocks or something? So uh, major respect to that. And then also on that on that no context college football, like you said, amazing. But like two weekends ago, there was a, a Georgia fan. It was rainy during the I think it was the during the Auburn game. But like there was a, a grown man walking around behind the hedges. You can do that. And he, he looked like to be wearing what what I could only describe as like a. a a dog cone, but for a human being. And I think it was like to, you know, like promote, you know, not spreading or, or, you know, like substitute for his mask or whatever, but a grown man wearing a dog Mm -hmm. cone, just remarkable stuff. At a football game. nonetheless. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Last big 10 game. I want to ask you about Minnesota, two and a half point favorites. They are at home. Uh, But again, you know, you would think a reduced um, home field advantage this year, two and a half point favorites against Michigan. You know, uh, I don't know if you if you read the the sort of scathing article from uh, I think it was Pete Thamel at, at Yahoo earlier this week, just kind of the indictment of of Harbaugh and how he's entering the last 14 months of his contract or whatever it is at Michigan, and how it's like pretty sus that he hasn't gotten extended. And like the the kind of party line is that like nobody coaches into their last year of their of their contract. You either get fired or you get extended. So like this is. This is a weird little limbo, and uh, Thamel also said things along the lines of like, you know, Harbaugh has reached this weird point where his rival teams don't really mind if he stays at Michigan. Do, do you agree with that? And like, if that is the case, like, how damning a, of, a, of an indictment is that on where Harbaugh has, has taken this Michigan team? I think that's fair at this point. I, I don't. I, there is still a mystique around him, and I don't know if, at this point if there's anything he could do to to get rid of that. Like, I, I there's still a belief that it's like if he puts things together, you know, he's he's such a great recruiter. He's he ha- has this ability to whisper to quarterbacks, even though we haven't seen it at all. Like, no. if anything, quarterback has been like the number one issue. Yeah, the Shane Patterson mismanagement, unreal. Yeah, I mean the the mismanagement of literally everybody who's played quarterback there has been just awful. Who was like, who was like the tall skinny guy they had? I want to say Ryan Mallett, but it wasn't him. Uh, it was Jake Rudock, right? And he actually had a good year. Yeah, maybe that, I, was, I thought I was thinking of somebody else, but I mean that's another example too. Like th- that, I think that's kind of the biggest indictment for me is that when when he came to Michigan, it was it was very similar to Tom Herman coming to Texas, where they had tried a few other options. You know, I, I remember as a Wisconsin fan, when they hired Brady Hoke, you're just like, awesome, great. Like, this guy's not going to do anything. Like, nobody, <laughs> like, you, you hired a program builder to build a program that's already built, if that makes sense. You know, like, those, I feel like those often don't really work. You yeah. know, guys who had success at the lower level building up a program, like, you don't need to do that at Michigan. It's a completely different task. Do the uh, Wake Forest. Right, exactly. Like, you, you kind of have to make you know, incrementally you know, maybe work your way up to that. I just, I just thought that was like a, a terrible hire and obviously it turned out that way. Um, but with Harbaugh, 
yeah, when that happened, it was like, oh man, here we go. They found their guy. Michigan's back. There's nothing mm-hmm. we can do. Wisconsin had their window and they didn't take advantage. Now Michigan's going to be back. Um, and it just hasn't happened. Like I said, it feels a lot like Herman at Texas where that too is like, this is finally the guy. There's no way this can't work. It's going to be perfect. And here we are with, you know, both of these teams, I feel like struggling in, in very similar ways where there's always like one glaring issue on the roster and it just doesn't make sense based on how they've recruited. Yeah. And, and you could even say, you know, and this gets brought up a lot in the SEC as well, but it's like it's one thing to to put together a top 15 or a 10 top 10 class nationally. But you recruit the guys that, you know, of the level of the guys that you want to beat. So it's one thing to have like a again, like the, the 10th ranked uh, recruiting class in the country. But if you're fifth in the SEC, like how much ground are you really gaining? And if you're like a hard 10, 11 spots behind Ohio state, or, and if you're five or six spots behind Penn state, how much ground are you really gaining? Are you just entrenching yourself as the third best program recruiting wise, maybe in, in the big 10? I would, st- I would take Wisconsin's program over Michigan right now as, as far as how things stand, honestly, and, and Wisconsin's recruiting is actually starting to come on a little bit and Michigan's is slipping a little bit. I know they have a five-star quarterback this in this cycle, but still, I think that they just haven't really gotten the guys uh, that, that you might've expected. So it's, it's been good recruiting, but I, I think one of the quotes from, from the Thamel article is they're getting four five, six studs per, per class and Ohio state gets 20 like that. That just creates right. a gap that, that spans over three years and gets wider and wider with each one. You can have one or the other, you know, at Ohio state, they've, they've obviously done a great job of recruiting and developing uh, Wisconsin. I think you could argue has developed better than, or at the same level as, as any team in the country. Yep. Uh, I think they've you know made the most of that talent for the last, you know, really going back to, to even the, you know, the days of Barry Alvarez, like they, they've always maximized what they have. Michigan is neither recruiting at an ultra elite level to the point where the talent can outweigh that, nor is it developing internally, uh, like a Wisconsin where you can make up for that gap in recruiting. You know, I, it's, it's kind of puzzling. And I, I will say to answer your original question, I would still rather they fire Harbaugh just because I think the turmoil that that creates, and this is something we've harped on or my, I've harped on a number of times on this podcast, like in college football, firing a coach is it's usually a program, you know, something that sets your program back five years. So as someone who roots for a team in the same conference as Michigan, go ahead, fire away, you know, lose some recruits for the next couple of cycles, have to start over. And even if you get the right guy, you know, it creates this three or four year window where the turnaround is just really tough to pull off in that time frame. Sure. Um, so I'm, I'm always a proponent, as long as it's not a, a disaster situation, I'm almost always a proponent of keep the coach, you know, especially if you're, you know, Michigan a couple times these last few years has been in the title hunt. You know, they always seem to lose the game that they need to win to stay in it. But at the same time, like they're 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 light years better than they were, you know, in the, at, at the time that they hired Jim Harbaugh. And and I think it's still been a disappointment relative to the expectations. But like the respectability of the program is is much better than what it was. It, yeah, it, it's much. I mean, like it the after the 2014 season like that, it. it anyone's public opinion opinion of Michigan couldn't have been any lower. So he he's done along or done a great job of building them back up to, towards an air of respectability. But I guess maybe this is just like my Georgia fandom scars, like coming out a little bit, but like there's something to be said for getting comfortable with good. Mm-hmm. And like, that's where, that's where everyone that was ripping Georgia for firing Mark Richt after like another nine and three season. It's like 
at a certain point, if you aspire to be a national champion, nine and three every year is not where you like if that's your coach like that's enough and, and I, I get i think you have a totally valid point and like the 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 margin for error is very very small as far as getting the higher right and i think in georgia's case when they fired Richt, like kirby smart a georgia alum so established as a, as that defensive coordinator at alabama like being attached to the hip to nick saban it was like okay like that is the obvious guy michigan it feels like our harbaugh's already that obvious guy so it's like wh- where is that next guy coming for, for michigan but at the same time again like do they do the, are they cool with just being like third in the east all the time like i would imagine not so it, we'll have to see here but again like to that earlier thing harbaugh's contract is up by the end of next year. And and basically that means that it's not cutting time by the end of this year. Mm-hmm. Agreed. All right. I'll give you a couple minutes to talk about Ham Newton, who uh, has, has, you know, dramatically entered the timeline over the last 24 hours, uh, a quarterback defensive tackle hybrid, I believe from Missouri. Is that right? Yeah. From, yeah. From Kansas city at, at one of the prep schools there. Um, yeah. It, radio.com sports at RDC sports uh, tweeted this, video that went pretty viral at least on on college football circles on wednesday night real name howard brown uh ham newton so doesn't matter uh, what Monica. his real name is he's ham newton okay yeah he's ham newton uh bunky credit bunky per- perkins for that name uh but yeah committed to iowa state listed a, as a defensive tackle on 24 7 but this man has six thousand passing yards right let him let him be the heir apparent to Brock Purdy, okay? Like, have some imagination for for crying out loud, because you don't often see the 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 hybrid defensive tackle quarterback, and watching him is just like poetry in motion. And with uh, this this Pegas guy at, at Auburn, like the three hundred pound Wildcat guy, why not? Let it play, baby. This is the closest thing we've seen to the second coming of Jared Lorenzen. Mm-hmm. That is such a large statement. I love it. <laughs> it's true. I mean, the the passing yards alone, like the the clip of of Ham that that kept circulating was basically just like a a keeper more or less, where he just broke a few tackles and gained like twenty five yards. I mean, it was impressive. But I want to see more. I mean, I, I want to see this guy spread it out like that. I mean, you you watched high school football. I played high school football. I was technically on the team. Did not play very much, but. It's hard to throw for a lot of passing yards in in high school football. You know, maybe it's a little different at a at a prep school in a big city, but you don't have five-star receivers, you know, catching balls. You know, it's, it's, it's a lot harder, I think, to put up those numbers than people realize, especially when you're this size. Yeah. So it, yeah, it's, that's unreal that, that yeah, 6,000 passing yards is, you know, that's, that's the kid down at Lake Travis. that's going to go right. to Texas or something like that's, that's not normal. That's, that's absolutely wild. And then he, he flips over and just goes and, and, you know, like is a space eater on the defensive line. Right. It's just, it's it's fantastic. I'm I I absolutely love this story. So we're we're Ham Newton guys. We're a Ham Newton podcast now. Um, so that we're we're Cyclones adjacent at the very least now. Yeah, and I, I hope to God that they at least give him a shot at quarterback yes. at some point. All right, let's get into Week Six real quickly before we look ahead. Um, sure. I feel like we called this. We knew it deep down. Yeah. Miami Clemson was not what we hoped it would be. Forty-two seventeen in favor of Clemson. Uh, a game that really wasn't out of hand uh, by halftime, I wouldn't say. Um, I mean, it was, it was 21-10 Clemson at that point. But in the third quarter uh, is when when Clemson really put its stamp on this game. And 
you know, we've, we've talked about how many times Miami's been in this position and, and ended up coming up short. Um, you know, they're certainly not back after a game like this. Um, against Clemson, you know, it's you can only do so much. You know, yeah, this you is really junior year Trevor Lawrence, you know. Yeah, I mean, exactly. You're, you're not sitting here and being like, wow, this Miami program's a complete disaster. Uh, but at the same time, not an encouraging performance passing wise, especially from De'Ara King, uh, you know, under 50 percent completion, just 121 yards had two picks in this game, did not throw for a touchdown. Uh, and Miami, you know, only 89 yards on the ground as a team. And that that's there's no negative like sack yardage included there. I mean, there was they barely got over 200 total yards against this Clemson defense. Right. And, and you know, so the thing is, you know, we, we talked about it last week where the, the potential limiting factor for, for Miami was the outside passing game. And are they going to be able to challenge Clemson on the boundary and outside the numbers? And they have a couple recruits who theoretically should be able to, you know, do that with, with Peyton and, and Wiggins. Um, and, and Mike Harley is a fine enough slot guy. But you just like you're not going to beat Clemson if you can't if you like literally can't challenge them down the field and, and make the big plays, especially it, um, when you're like built on the run the way that Miami is and you, and you can't set up the play action and, and get things going. Um, it takes take a few deep shots and maybe maybe get lucky and hit on one of them. So the second that Miami's run game kind of went out the window, that's when they were screwed. And, and like it was only going to get slippier, slipperier uh, from there. And I know it was rainy there, but uh, that's besides the point. Uh, so, yeah, but like Miami, like I still would feel very encouraged about the direction of this program relative to even uh, that Orange Bowl season. But they got to get. Um, the passing game figured out. I don't know if it'll happen this year. So like maybe this won't be an issue again for them, really, uh, like until the ACC championship game. I, I forget what happens there. I guess it's like a win percentage thing this year. I, I think they're throwing divisions out. Um, Notre Dame, I, I assume, will, will be um, in the mix for that as well. But, um, you know, th- this might be something where Miami never really gets to prove against a really good team once again this year that they've fixed it in any meaningful way. So it's it's kind of an empty feeling note. Like you get the reality check that is the Clemson game, but you don't get to see later on the season if you fixed it or not. So Alabama puts up 63 Oof. on Ole Miss. Uh, and this, this was not your classic Alabama just rolling them over. I mean, this was a, a necessary 63 points. Yeah, uh, it was blow Alabama. by blow. Yeah, it was 63-48 uh, in, in a game that Alabama scored 42 points in the second half alone. Uh, for the most part, though, I mean, Ole Miss was was keeping up. I, I thought two takeaways for me from this game. One, I think this was Najee Harris's signature game at yep. the college level, something that we've we've kind of been waiting for for a while. 23 carries, 206 yards, five touchdowns, uh, really one of the best statistical games you're, you're going to see this year and really any year from any running back. Uh, and the second takeaway is I, I think Jalen Waddle may have surpassed Jerry Judy as my favorite Bama receiver ever. Uh, well, you know, I, I have so many favorite Bama receivers, so it's just. <laughs> Where does Devonte Smith rank on that list? Ah, uh, yeah, <laughs> number six. You can can you at least admit like did you like Julio at the time? Like I, I oh, feel like yeah. he was like he was like the most universally loved college player. Like everybody loved Julio Jones. Yeah, it was just like who? It, what is this that guy? This guy is like yeah, you like unlike anything you'd ever seen. Right. Um, so yeah, like. Yeah, Julio and and um, Amari Cooper was yeah. ridiculous too. Uh, yeah, the list goes on. I don't, Julio, I don't is, Julio is out of hand. I don't even count him on my list. He's on another level. I mm-hmm. will say though, AJ Green was equally cool. So he was. I think that offset at least for you. And AJ Green ha- has the you know cool guy factor of getting suspended for for like selling one of his jerseys. So that makes him a, gives yeah. him a little more of a steely edge. Yeah, exactly. 
Um, people are people are getting on AJ Green, by the way, for his lack of effort after an interception. I mean, he, he's completely checked out. Like, <laughs> I don't know what that was, though. It's like I, to me, that looked almost like a like a mental error because like he was running. He was just running along alongside the guy. Like, it's one thing if you just stop and you're just, you throw your hands up and start walking to the sideline or something. But like he looked engaged. It, he was just like running the complete opposite way. That, that was one of the stranger plays I've seen. It almost looked like he was about to start blocking for Marcus right. Peters. <laughs> Which would have been awesome. I mean, that yeah. would have been the ultimate, the ultimate I'm checked out move. Like, literally start playing for the other team. I, I think that may have surpassed Vontae Davis. So, is it worse yeah. to retire at halftime or, or actively hurt your own team while you're on the field? <laughs> yeah. So, I guess AJ Green uh, saved slight face by not literally blocking any of the yeah. Bengals on, you know, on that play. But, um, yeah, I think him and his Bengals days are, are over. And, no, you know. yeah, just imagine who who had that pick for the Ravens. Uh, Marcus Peters. Peters, yeah. Like, imagine that call. It's like picks up a huge block by AJ Green. <laughs> what is he doing? Mutiny. Oh, uh, speaking of AJ Green, the Georgia Dogs rolled over Tennessee uh, this Man. past weekend, 44-21. I was looking at Heisman odds today, John. Stetson Bennett was like six on the list. Well, that I mean, that'll be over by by you know eight o'clock on Saturday or whatever. But um. There you know, go. it's it's been cool. It's been it's been a fun ride. And, and Georgia's like committed to it now. I mean, uh, we reached the point, you know, that they struggled so much in week one. Then he comes on, plays well. JT Daniels gets cleared, but he doesn't have any game action yet. And, you know, he's still like working through working towards getting 100 percent. Plus, he hasn't had any like, you know, live contact or anything. So for better, or for worse, Georgia is going into this game with with uh, with Stetson Bennett. But um, yeah. Going back to this game as a whole, Tennessee hit some deep shots um, on Georgia in that in that first half, and also had a, a goal line stand. Um, I wish that there was footage or a, that I could have been a fly on the wall for that halftime speech because Georgia's defense played at a level that like you don't really see at the college level very often in terms of its dominance um, in the second half. Like I think there was like minus one rush yards for Tennessee either on the day or or in the second half. So like, yeah, the. Georgia's defense is just terrifying, man. Like, it, I'm not even like trying to sound biased. Like, it just every single level, the depth, the skill, the developed abilities from from being in the program, insane. I've I've not seen that for in in uh, a Georgia defense really before. It's it's crazy. I'll tell you what, you don't sound like a homer when you hold Tennessee to a net of negative one rushing yards for the game. Right. I will say, though, a tough week to be facing Alabama after they come off that offensive explosion. But at the same time, I mean, it sets up what I think is probably the nation's best defense against what's perhaps the nation's best offense right now. Right. I mean, what, what is your initial lean? I'm sure, I'm sure we'll get to that when we start doing the preview. But uh, how, how are you feeling right now? I'm, I'm going to guess, based on your tone uh, during that last uh, kind of blurb, that you're not feeling great about Stetson Bennett. No, because he can't throw outside the numbers. Like, like mm-hmm. Ole Miss was able to do what it did because they have Matt Corral who is a lot better than Stetson Bennett, a lot more talented. Um, so just like he had the ability to threaten Alabama outside the numbers and down the field in a way that Stetson Bennett, he hasn't proven that against either Arkansas or Auburn or Tennessee. He can kind of arm it down the middle of the field a little bit. And, and you know, he's hit on a couple of deep throws to like Kiaris Jackson and stuff. But um, I, I think that Alabama is going to set up its defense in a way where it's like, you know, the middle, the middle of their field is all those options are, are taken out of the reads for, for Bennett and he's going to have to make it work on the outside. And I don't know if he's game for it. And I think that's going to be the story of the game. Like it, you can point to Alabama's 
really kind of non-Alabama-y defense. Mm-hmm. But if, if Georgia doesn't have someone to hurt them with it, then it's not going to matter. Very true. Uh, elsewhere in week six, Texas A&M pulls the upset on Florida. Uh, I don't think a lot of people saw this coming. You hinted at this at the top. Um, I mean, Florida, I think, had kind of taken over as as maybe this team that could, you know, dethrone Alabama or, or really make a run for it uh, finally in the SEC East. Yeah, I saw year, no but, losses on their schedule. None. Yeah, I mean, the defense obviously is to blame uh, when you when you look at the final score, 41 points uh, against A&M. Uh, Kellen Mond had himself a nice game, 338 yards, three touchdowns, but I mean, Kyle Trask kind of kept it rolling from his perspective, 23 or 32, over 300 yards, four touchdowns. Um, you know, A&M, I guess, give him credit for for kind of keeping Kyle Pitts uh, under wraps, five for 47 and a touchdown. Uh, they, they, they did a fairly good job of limiting the big, big pass plays that Florida uh, had been relying on. I mean, they had no mm-hmm. play over 39 yards in this game, which was huge. Um, but what, what were your takeaways from this one? Maybe it was like... I don't know if Florida was reading their own press clippings or what, but I, I like, I still like, can't believe that this happened. But, uh, you know, you go into Kyle Field, you have the better team, and you you still just like can't get it done. Like A and M definitely bowed up for this game, and, and I think we talked about the the counter to this one last week maybe but it was like when is A&M going to get their signature win you know like their their win their seven overtime win against LSU feels like lifetimes ago mm-hmm. at this point and you know they they had like the the schedule last year like the prove it schedule where they they got to play against Alabama at home they get they got to go on the road against Clemson and it's like okay that you get litmus test games all over the place like let's see where you're at and they failed those tests every time out like that every game that they could there was like a toss-up or or that they weren't favored they they blew it and they, they won the games they were supposed to or whatever but like you know what solace does that really give you this time you know beating a florida team that was scorching hot coming out of the gate like that that's huge that that does change serve to change my opinion of a&m just a bit they have a, a killer one-two punch in that backfield they've got a senior quarterback they have a good defense. They don't have any receivers, really. And they, they're the one that was going off for them. I think his name Jalen Preston. Um, or no, it's not uh, Caleb Chapman. Um, he's done for the season. So, like, that that really stings uh, for them. But, um, you know, they, they can, you know, especially with the way that LSU and, and Miss State have kind of fallen all over themselves and how bad Auburn looks so far, mm-hmm. not surprised if A&M finishes second in the West now. So with LSU and Florida off the schedule this week, as we look ahead at week seven, one very clear headliner in Georgia, Alabama. Um, any other games that you're keeping an eye on this weekend? I believe that's our only ranked versus ranked game on the schedule. Right. So um, we're, we're a little bit searching for, for great games elsewhere. That, that's clearly um, the headliner. There, there are a handful of other fun ones. Uh, Friday night, you could point to Houston versus BYU, the Battle of the Cougars, a couple of undefeated teams, although Houston undefeated after one game. Um, so that, so that's something. Um, that looking, looking elsewhere, though, I mean, uh, I think maybe A&M versus Miss State kind of fits the bill. Kentucky, Tennessee, like they're kind of in a fight for where they are in, in the East's pecking order. Auburn has a must win game against South Carolina, um, Georgia tech, um, you know, thoughts and prayers in advance for, for them going up against Clemson. I, I don't think that that's going to go particularly well. Um, so it, 
yeah, the, a little bit of a light slate, and then you have like a mega game between the number three and number two team that, that kind of like jars you, c- considering the rest of the slate being a little bit underwhelming. I, I did see a note that I, I believe Trevor Lawrence needs 24 more attempts without an interception to break the ACC record for most pass attempts without a pick, and that, that's currently held by Russell Wilson. He's at 355 consecutive interceptionless attempts, which which is pretty amazing. Uh, I do want to use this, you know, since we do have a little bit of a lighter slate, I want to use that as a transition to talk a little bit about the Heisman race, which is getting like zero buzz this year, uh, understandably, just based on the circumstances, you know, with the guy who's kind of was was and is still neck and neck with Trevor Lawrence hasn't even played a game yet in Justin Fields. Uh, The biggest question for me, and I haven't really seen a whole lot of takes on this. I haven't really seen it written about yet. Like Clemson is likely going to play three or four more games than Ohio State. How is that going to impact the race? If you look at the odds, like Fields is not that far behind Trevor Lawrence. Um, so maybe there's going to be, you know, an increased emphasis by voters, you know, who are probably going to be told, you know, look at the per game stuff. You don't want to favor the team that has more wins. But if one team is 11-0 and the other team is 8-0, and it's going to be hard not to look at the season totals, especially if Lawrence keeps playing like he does, um, you know, how much does do those three or four extra games, how is that ultimately going to uh, to help a guy like Lawrence or maybe even tra- Travis Etienne if he works his way into this. Yeah, I, th- I think it will be like an ultimate tiebreaker. Like Lawrence would have to um, slide off a little bit. And Field- Fields has to be absolutely perfect from the jump. He has to just like absolutely like, you know, come back out and remind everybody who he is week one next week and just keep it rolling and be utterly dominant throughout the rest of the season and I wonder if like Clemson will kind of sense that arms race coming on maybe keep Lawrence out there let let him pile up some more numbers that than they have in the past when they when they you know pull him out of blowout situations who knows you know how much they they really care about that or, or if they just care about the ultimate prize but I think they do probably you know want Trevor Lawrence to to win the Heisman it makes sense and you know he probably will end up being the one that deserves it um, but I, I think that it is in the end, it's going to be hard for Fields to close that gap when Lawrence will have had three extra games. You know, that that's just three more tests that he needed to pass that than Fields did. And I think that that should be weighed. You know, I, I think that that would make him the best player of the season as opposed to Fields. But I think you can also say and you, you noted how quiet it's been. I think we've seen some of those other top candidates really fall by the wayside. I mean, if you were mentioning Stetson Bennett as fringe Heisman material, like that (laughs) that just goes to show how much everyone else has screwed this up. Right. I mean, like Spencer Radler has been pretty bad. Uh, Sam Ellinger played at a good level, but you've lost two games, man. Like you're not supposed to do that as a senior at Texas. Like that's not good. Um, Kyle Trask, obviously after last week and Miles Brennan, you know, more of a dark horse guy, but certainly not getting it done. Chuba Hubbard hasn't really gotten it rolling yet either. So, yeah, th- this feels like Lawrence is to lose, but there will be a door for, for Fields to get there. And I, I think that he will end up being in New York, wherever they hold, hold the uh, Heisman finals this year. But uh, it's going to take a very Herculean effort from him to, to unseat Lawrence. I think this is Lawrence's award to lose, uh, as we always famously say about whoever is the Heisman favorite after four games. Yeah, I, I do feel pretty good about it, though. And and yeah. I think Fields will make it a, a race, but I, it really does feel like it's going to be a two-man race. Like, it, like I think that was a great point to mention, like, all those other guys who are normally in contention just got off to such rocky starts. I mean, you can you can cl- cross off Ellinger, I think, I mean, with, yep. with the start that they've had. Um, and especially when you consider that there is someone like Lawrence up there. Like, and maybe in a different year, 
you know, you just, if, if everybody had one or two losses, you know, you would say, you know, Ellinger's stats, maybe keep them in it. But when you're going up against Trevor Lawrence, you have to, you have to play basically a perfect season to unseat him. Um, let's get into DFS for this week, John. Um, before we get into quarterbacks, any, any just kind of overall leans or stacks or anything for this week? Yeah. So the, the, the highlight for this week game wise on, on this slate is the Memphis central Florida game. Uh, but two two teams at the top of the class as far as the AAC is concerned. Uh, I know that Memphis lost that tough game to SMU a couple weeks ago. That was a, a fun shootout, although Reggie Roberson got hurt in that game, so stings. But either way, um, Central Florida also lost on that day, surprisingly, to Tulsa, who, like the again, the broadcast was like, yeah, we, we knew that Tulsa was going to win this game. Bizarre. Either way, uh, both of those teams coming off the bye, I think they're both going to be raring to go. They, they know that they both need this win. They're, you know, they're both kind of in the in the chasing position now that that Cincinnati's off to a good start and, and Houston is, is playing now. So they got to make up some ground. They got to have this game a ton of talent on both sides. There's going to be a, a lot of scoring in this game, I would imagine, uh, on both sides. So I, that's like the obvious one, I think, like just for like your just standard cash game lineup. That's the one that you're going to want to target. The guy, it's a little bit hard to pull it off with just the mainstream guys just because they're, they're priced accordingly. The, the pricing on DraftKings has been really, really sharp, really tight. Um, but I, I still think that like that that's the game that you target and you – uh, for for a game stack and then you you should at least you know get a little piece of it one way or the other if you're like stacking other games all right so let's look at the quarterback position uh unsurprisingly who sits at the top trevor lawrence he's priced at nine thousand on DraftKings this weekend matt corral at old miss going up against that arkansas defense uh, although that's a, that's a game where, where they're only favored by one and a half points uh, but the over under sits at 75 and a half let's he's go. at 8800 Dylan Gabriel at Central Florida is at 8,500. Kyle Trask at 8,300. Derek King at 81. And then Brady White at 8,000. Those are your six quarterbacks priced at 8,000 or above. Yes. So uh, with, with Lawrence, song remains the same. He's probably going to crush it for as long as he's out there for. I don't know how long Clemson's going to need him out there for. Is he going to throw more than 25 passes? I don't know. Um, one thing that I will say about Lawrence, though, if you wanted to stack him, uh, with, with some Clemson receivers, the Clemson receivers are like pretty reasonably priced this week. So you can pull that off um, and, and that could work pretty nicely. But um, I think Matt Corral um, versus or I'm sorry, Matt Corral versus Arkansas and then going with Felipe Franks on the backside of that and doing a game stack that way. Like you said, there's a super high um, total in this game. So there's going to be points galore. Ole Miss doesn't play defense. So you're not going to have to worry about like Corral, like sit, building a giant lead and sitting out because Arkansas probably answers the bell every single time out. Felipe Frank seems to be showing a, a bit of a pulse there. So that that's one of my favorite, um, you know, potential quarterback super flex pairings to go with within a single game. Um, I'm a little bit interested in, in like the Kellen Mond, KJ Costello. I know Costello scored all of two points last week for, for Miss State, so he didn't even score them. But, you know, you got to figure that he's going to bounce back and have a ton of passing volume at the very least. Um, so so that's something to consider. Yeah, like a Mond, um, Mond Costello one. And then, of course, you know, Dylan Gabriel, Brady White. I'm probably not going to have a ton of Brady White. I will go after some um, Memphis pass catchers, but I won't be using Brady White. I don't like his mobility um, quite enough. And then Ian Book is interesting because I I can't figure out how Notre Dame is going to kill Louisville, 
but they're going to kill Louisville. Like Louisville has really, really f- taken a, a step back this year defensively. They gave up like 66 points to Georgia Tech last week. Um, so Book has had kind of Jekyll and had Hyde games where um, he's run in scores and, and vultured from the running backs, or he's thrown a couple touchdowns. He hasn't really lit it up through the air just yet. So you, if you're going after Book, you're counting on him as a runner. And you could also get burned by that because, again, he's not going to be throwing it a ton, I don't think. And if it turns into like a Kyron Williams or, or a Sebo Flemister game, you're left with Ian Book maybe throwing for 200 yards, maybe having one rushing touchdown. But but that's not going to be enough to, to return at 7,900. And then, I mean, looking elsewhere, um, Virginia, I... I had the nuts in a lineup last week. I had a full UNC stack. I had Deuce Vaughn, and then I had Armstrong from Virginia. So it was going to just absolutely go off, but Armstrong got hurt. Uh, they had to bring in Lindell Stone, Armstrong with the concussion, so that, that tanked that lineup, RIP to that lineup. Could have been good. But either way, if um, if it's Armstrong or if it's Stone this week, I like both of those guys at 7K and, and 6,800 respectively, whoever gets to start. Um, against Wake Forest. I don't think Wake Forest is, is really going to um, do a whole lot to stop them. Um, Devin Leary against against Duke, also a, a bit of a dart throw. He, maybe he's playing a little bit above where he really is as a player, but he does get to play against Duke, which is a, a decent little um, th- thing to consider there. But that's my read on the quarterback board. So we only have two running backs on DraftKings priced above 7,700. That's Letty Brown and Travis Etienne. Is it worth it to pay up for either of those guys? I do like it, actually. And and again, you, you'll have to kind of go away from the Memphis Central Florida game or you'll have to um, really find your value guys at, at quarterback and at receiver. But there is a path to making an ETN Letty Brown lineup uh, this week. I'm going to have more Brown than ETN, but I do like them both a lot this week. I think Letty Brown's probably my, my favorite of this group. But, you know, I think there's going to be a lot of volume. And I just love playing guys against Kansas. Like, Kansas is just so, so bad. So I, I think that this sets up really well. Um, Kevin Harris is kind of priced out for me. I, I love Kevin Harris. Um, talked about him last week or maybe even even these last two weeks. But 7,700, Auburn's defense, I think, is game enough to, to stop him. So I, I'm, I'm worried about that, that 7,700. Um, it's all, I'm also like salty when it comes to Virginia, uh, the Billy Kemp is, is listed as a running back this week and, and not a receiver. He had like one carry last week and a ton of catches. So, um, I'm calling shenanigans on, on that, but, um, yeah, that, that's kind of my view uh, of the top tier. Um, Kyron Williams, like I mentioned too, also in a really good spot. Disgusting that he's listed at a running back. It's absolutely abhorrent. Um, Mm -hmm. All right, finishing out with the receivers, you have Elijah Moore at Ole Miss. He's the the lone pricey uh, at 8,000. And then kind of as usual, a a large pack uh, of guys in that next, you know, range separated by usually about 100 or 200 bucks. Terrace Marshall, uh, obviously that game is is, uh, canceled against Florida. He would be second highest. He's at 78. Um, But you have Marlon Williams at UCF. You have Sean Dykes at Memphis. You got Shai Smith. At South Carolina, um, maybe it's a two-two Atwell week. Where, where are you leaning at receiver? Receiver, receiver is interesting that this week. Um, I think it's worth it for Elijah Moore, especially if you're going after Matt Corral. Um, I think otherwise, as far as that Memphis Central Florida game goes, Marlon Williams and Sean Dykes are both, you know, at the top for a reason. But I like the the secondary options 
from from both of those games uh, or both of those teams. I think Demonte Coxey is way underpriced at 6100. I think that he's going to see double digit targets. Um, I know he only has one touchdown so far, but Memphis has only played two games, so give him a break. Uh, he has a long, long track record of being a good producer. So 6,100, I think, is, is a totally fair one and, and a good way to get after that Memphis passing game. Jalen Robinson, similarly, on Central Florida, 6,400. So a lot um, less of your salary would be tied up into him than, than Marlon Williams. You do need to keep an eye for Trey Nixon coming back. If that ends up being the case, that, then that's going to um, change like the, the target count for both uh, Robinson and Marlon Williams, but if he's out, then then you know, I think both Marlon and um, and Jalen Robinson are like totally automatic. Um, I'm, I think as far as like your cheap passing game stacks to consider, um, I think you might want to attack the West Virginia pass catchers, especially if you're not going after Letty Brown in a given lineup. Uh, so that's Sam James um, at 5,900. Bryce Ford Wheaton has caught touchdowns in two of their three games. So I like those guys. Uh, and then rounding it out with that with the Clemson uh, receivers, uh, Frank Ladson at 4,600 um, is, is someone to also consider. I think that you know he's one of the more reliable guys in that passing game that, that doesn't quite get the the love just yet but um, especially in a potential blowout situation I think we're going to see more targets go his way um, so so that's how I, I lean there and then just like a couple other general comments I, I think that um, going after Miami I wouldn't count on the bounce back this week I think they get the win but Pitt's defense is really really good I think that we have them ranked as the number three defense um, on this or on this slate on, on like Rotowire's team rankings page for their adjusted defense. So don't expect a ton of points from the Canes here as far as a bounce back goes. Um, and then I think Notre Dame might be the key to this slate because again, I think that they're going to crush Louisville. I just don't know how. Um, I, I think that you do have some cheap tight ends for, for Notre Dame that could do some damage, whether it's Tommy Tremble or Michael Meyer. Um, either of those guys, Michael Meyer would be especially good because it's almost Halloween. Um, but Either way, I, I think that Notre, getting exposure to Notre Dame in your lineups, whether it's through um, the run game or, or through Ian Book specifically, um, I think that that's going to be one of the big ways to go on Saturday. All right, John, we have a fun topic yes. to chat with get it. this week. Um, I, I pulled this off of Reddit uh, that I saw browsing uh, earlier this week. Um, it was a pretty open-ended question, but basically what are the biggest college football what-ifs for you? Um, and, and there were, as you would expect, a host of responses, some of them injury related, some of them, you know, what if this guy makes this play? What if this guy doesn't transfer? What if this guy signs here out of high school? Uh, pretty open-ended. Uh, but I thought there were a lot of great responses. Uh, I know you and I have, have our personal picks as well. Uh, but I'll let you start out. Were, were there any that came to mind immediately for you when you saw that question? Um, Probably the the greatest one is the Randy Moss one. You know, it's like, how does a talent like that end up at Marshall? There's obviously a 30 for 30 about it. Uh, you know, he could have played at either Notre Dame or Florida State. So imagine, you know, the way that he could have changed the fortunes of either of those programs. Like, it, I guess Florida State was already like so elite at that point that it's just like, you know, adding extra ammo uh, to what that team could have been. It could have been, you know, remembered maybe in a way that like those early 2000s Miami teams were. I think mm -hmm. that it, like that's probably not not too far out of bounds to suggest uh, with Notre Dame. Um, I'd, I forget how good they were in the late 90s, but I'm, I'm sure that that would have been, I mean, you have Randy Moss, like the greatest receiver of all time. Of course, that would have changed the fortunes of that program. But yeah, him, him ending up at Marshall, um, yeah, that's that's just like a gigantic 
Uh, I think that's like the pinnacle of like the what if for for like the college football space. What do you think? Yeah, I mean that that's obviously one of them for me. I mean, had he gone to Florida State, he would have been playing opposite Peter Warwick, who wasn't a My great God. NFL player, but was an incredible college so player. So fun. I mean, that would have been that would have been unbelievable. He's like um, but there's a case to be made that maybe, yeah, more or less. And I think there's a case to be made that Randy Moss doesn't become Randy Moss if he goes there and you know, is is kind of like just another talented receiver at a school that has other talented receivers. Yeah, you know, I mean, he was so clearly the man at Marshall that I, I think it developed him partially into a guy who just expected to be the best player all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, it, and it makes for an awesome backstory. Uh, but that, that was a good point by you, you know, that, you know, how it changes not only his career, but how those teams are remembered. Because, you know, I don't remember a ton about those Florida State teams or those Notre Dame teams or, or even like Nebraska around that time compared to Miami. And I think part of it is because all those Miami guys went on and became stars in the NFL. You know, so like you're hearing you're seeing Ed Reed Miami highlights all the time during NFL season. You're seeing Warren Sapp highlights. You're seeing Ray Lewis highlights, things like that. And, you know, I, I think a lot of those really good teams around that time, if, if if those players didn't go on to great NFL careers, they're remembered by college football fans. But they're maybe not as remembered in like the the casual sports fans mind. That That's a very good point. And I think also you could, you know, especially for us, because we both kind of had like our, our like football awakening when we were like seven or eight years old, as far as like, you know, some of our earlier memories. And like my like impression of Florida State was a like they were the team that beat beat Maryland and kind of like really, really like biblically badly. And it just sort of let me know from an early age what to expect from Maryland football. But also it's like oh, they're the team that beat Mike Vick. Like, I don't like them. I like right. Mike Vick. So, exactly. so yeah, it, it changed it. I, I guess Randy Moss probably would have been gone by then. Yeah. But, um, still like it, yeah, it changed, it changed definitely a, a drastic impact on what those Florida state teams uh, yeah, could have looked like, because like you said, like that, that comparison to where you look at, at that 2000 and 2001 Miami teams, and it's just like NFL players that were studs all over the place, like Florida state, it didn't quite pan out quite that same way. But as far as a college football team goes, like they were legitimately one of the more dominant t- title teams, definitely in the, in the late nineties. I, I jotted down a few of the other top responses uh, from that Reddit post, uh, a lot of Marcus Lattimore love, and for him it was more, you know, what, what would he have become in the NFL? Because we at least got to see most of his college career. Uh, but I mean, he was he was incredible. I would um, dispute that even. I mean, he only he have what two years of of health before the uh, the injuries. Yeah, I guess I was thinking the injury happened late in one of the seasons. Like I, he, I thought it happened like right before he was going to go to the NFL. Am I, am I wrong th- on that? I think he had two really bad ones. And, and like, th- that was okay. like the other thing. It's not just that Lattimore got hurt. He got like the type of hurt where like, you know, not to draw like du- the direct comparison to the Dak Prescott or something, but it's something where you see that similar reaction yep. from players on the field. And it's just like, it's so crushing yep. and demoralizing. It's like, man, this is, this is the best dude out here. And for that to happen, it's just like, yeah. you know, it's beyond just like not to say that like ACL tears or like a boilerplate injury or anything. But, you know, like the just the way in which that they happen were so particularly gruesome looking. Yeah. that it's just like, man, like this guy, if he didn't have bad luck, he'd have no luck at all type of thing. So like Lattimore right. was just so, so killer and like such like a an engine to like South Carolina really kind of getting going and, and kind right. of ushering in one of the best eras of South Carolina football with, with Steve Spurrier. And, and then of course, Clowney joining the team the next year and Alshon Jeffrey being there. 
I mean, he was on that team that that won the East and, and you know, got shellacked by Cam Newton in the SEC championship game or whatever. But it's like, man, the, the future's so bright for Lattimore. And the way it, the way it went down for him twice was just so, so tough. So, yeah, that, that definitely counts as another big what if. Uh, we had some people threw out there. This one hits home for me, maybe more than others. Like, what if J.J. Watt had come back for his senior year where he would have joined Russell Wilson? Mm. Uh, two guys who I think at the time, one, we didn't know J.J. Watt was going to be that good. We didn't know he was going to be a multi-time defensive player of the year, you know, arguably one of the best defensive players ever at his peak. Um, and then, two, we also didn't know Russell Wilson would be as good as he was at the time. But, I mean, that's that's a pretty major what if for, you know, the two best players other than Ron Dane in Wisconsin history to kind of miss each other by one year like yeah, that. Yeah, that could have been so huge. Like that could, that right. Wisconsin, that 2000, what, 11 Wisconsin team really yep, could 11 have. 11 was Wilson. Yeah. And it could have been insane. Yeah. Yeah. Just, I mean, if, if you could just combine those two teams, yeah, they both had strengths that the others kind of lacked. Uh, Maurice Claret, that entire situation, you know, what if he ends up playing three normal, healthy years at, <laughs> at Ohio state and just doesn't be turned into this ridiculous story that, that ends up being a 30 for 30, uh, Tim Tebow, I, I guess I didn't really follow college recruiting this far back, but Tebow apparently almost committed to Bama. I guess he's on the record saying he he really was was going to go to Bama before switching to Florida. Yeah, that that's an interesting one. That that's one that I had to look into a little bit. But yeah, like the the good people of Reddit CFB, you know, they they have it lined out pretty well. Where it's like, you know, if the impact of that, and it's not just Tebow going to Bama, but like the timing of it, and and you know, like the intersection of, of that versus whoever that coach was before Nick Saban, you know, that guy probably ends up keeping his job if he has Tim Tebow back there. But is Tim Tebow as good if he doesn't have Urban Meyer? Like, you know, it, it just goes, it spirals into like, you know, it's something where it's like, you know, Tebow to Bama, like what? But if, if you really think about it and you really look into into the trajectories that both programs have gone in since and, you know, Tebow with the titles, two of them at, at Florida, but, you know, Bama with the, with, truly like the greatest college football dynasty of all time in the in the time since then it's amazing to think about uh a lot of love for joe burrow and his transfer decision you know had he opted to, to go to cincinnati um or you know ultimately stay at ohio state back in the day like obviously that changes everything with last season i talked um, to not to interrupt you but like i, I just want to throw this out to you apparently burrow was really thinking about nebraska playing for scott frost but he Ugh. said no i'm i'm sticking with adrian martinez oh my god can you believe that well, thank god that happened <laughs> agreed Jesus, for both of them <laughs> yeah i don't even think we would know who joe burrow is if he went there no like i'm i'm glad that the burrow story played out the way that it did like at the end of the day like that lsu team just <sighs> amazing like so i'm fun. glad that that happened yeah, I, I, that's a team that, you know, it's easy for us to say since it just happened. But that, that team is going to resonate, I think, for a really, really long time. Just And that's that's one of those teams, too, that, you know, I think the, the guys who are going pro off of that team are going to be around for a long time. You know, oh, Patrick yeah. Queen, um, Burrow himself, Edwards Alaire, even, you know, once we get to the point where Derek Stingley's in the NFL, like people are going to be like, oh, my God, Derek Stingley was on that team as a freshman. You know, like there's just so many guys, Jamar Chase. Yep. Justin Jefferson. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it, the list goes on. Like their whole offensive line, I think, got drafted. Um, Whatever Grant happened Delphi, to Thaddeus Moss, by the way? He he was like an invented hero. Like it, <laughs> like yes, he's Randy Moss's son, and like that that's, helped him he, a lot. And he played well, but he he like didn't have. I mean, he went undrafted. Like maybe he's on somebody's practice squad. Maybe he'll get a chance. I mean, he was a late bloomer in college, but I mean, yeah, he just wasn't like that serious of a pr- product of the system. I would say. 
Uh, I see he's currently on IR for the Washington football team. Okay. So, sounds about right. Uh, there's a lot of love in this thread for Cam Newton. You know, what if he stays at Florida? How does that change things? Somebody said, what if he owned his own laptop? Very funny. <laughs> uh, for, for me personally, though, Dennis Dixon. What if he doesn't get hurt? Right. Uh, I forget what even year that was off the top of my head. 2008, but 2007? 7, 8. Yeah, I mean, that was my absolute peak of college football fandom. He was... I, He's up there for my favorite college football player ever. That was absolutely devastating the way it happened. Um, but you know, he's got he's got those long skinny legs. It was it was only a matter of time. Yeah. Uh, that was just such a fun Oregon team, kind of right before they became you know the Oregon that we that we know today. Um, and that, I think Dennis Dixon was very much responsible for for pushing them in that direction. Uh, do you have any other uh, Georgia related ones? Yeah, uh, the one that, uh, you know, any of my Georgia friends listening that they know where this is going, so you can turn this off ahead of time. But um, the 2012 SEC championship game, uh, like that was just such like a like a trading punch for punch with with Alabama was just like so intense for for however many hours that was. I drank like a whole thing of eggnog or something during the course of that game, like it was because it was around Christmas time. And uh, the way that game ended where um, instead of like instead of spiking it or throwing it away um, where, where Georgia got down to like the five yard line or whatever it was, Aaron Murray threw a pass, gets tipped. Chris Conley catches it like, of course, he's going to catch it. He's a receiver. Um, but it was ill advised because there was no time left and he was short of the end zone by a lot. So um, if Georgia finds a way to score there and beats Alabama, I think there's no way that they don't just like absolutely steamroll Notre Dame in that na- national championship game. So that that game felt like it had the weight of a national championship riding on it. And then like Notre Dame was going to be like your prize once you get to heaven or something. But, um, you know, it obviously didn't work out and it, it continues to fuel the narrative, tying it back to the to the beginning part of this podcast where Georgia, Georgia's daddy right now is Alabama. And until they beat Alabama, then that continues to be the thing. So. Um, that 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 kind of started it for this era, because uh, I think Mark Richt beat Saban his first year there. But but uh, the blackout game the following year um, where I think Bama ended up winning the title or, or going to the SEC championship, they like absolutely destroyed Matt Stafford um, and, and that number one ranked Georgia team. Um, and like their their strength coach, I think, famously said something along the lines of like uh, they're wearing black because they're going to their own funeral and then they killed killed Georgia. So. Yeah, there, there's a lot of scar tissue that Alabama has levied on to me. I'd like a little bit less of it. It's an all-time call by the strength coach. Yeah, <laughs> it kind of is. All right, man. I think this is going to do it for us. I, uh, I'm, I'm going football bowling tonight with one of my buddies who who got conned into a league of this. Do you, have you ever heard of this? I have not. So he thought it was a bowling league, understandably. As if someone says, hey, do you want to go bowling? He's like, oh, yeah, I thought it was like a like bowling at like a football-themed bar, like a sports bar. Uh Apparently, you throw footballs at bowling pins, so kind of like a like a beer pong type of game, I guess. How's your arm right now? Uh, it's feeling pretty good. I actually I worked out twice yesterday, not to brag. Uh, went went in the morning as I always do, and then my girlfriend uh, made me do a body pump class. I shouldn't okay. say made me do. We signed up for it together. She didn't make me do it. It was fun. Uh, so I'm you know it's one of those things where it's like I'm like oh this won't be that bad. Uh, it was pretty bad. It was not. The, it's hard, the type of, man. It's it's not the type of workout that I typically do at all. A lot more, you know, like lightweight reps type of thing. Like I was absolutely dead by the end of it. Predictably felt even worse this morning. Um, so I don't know. I, I kind of I didn't really take that into account before I committed to this football bowling thing. But 
I'm excited to see how it goes. They they claim on the website that it's one of only two football bowling centers, arenas, domes, I don't know, in the entire country. And the other one is in Michigan. So, you know, this maybe this is just a northern thing. I'm not really sure. I love it, though. Like, we're going to need to get the full report back on, on that uh, come yeah, next check, week. Check your Snapchats around, like, 7.45 p.m. All right. I'm, I'm locked in then.